Hey there, my name is Dean Simmons and I'm going into the 5th grade in fall. I started on a yearbook staff when I was in 3rd grade and we just distributed volume 4 of the Down Under yearbook at Winfield Elementary School last week and we got a lot of positive feedback. On this episode of the Yearbook Wise podcast, my dad interviews Laura Zhu and Ali Staub, two of JEA's 2018 Distinguished Yearbook Advisors of the Year. Laura and Ali both advise awesome middle school staffs, but yearbook advisors at any level can learn a lot from the interview. Okay, here's the show. Hey everyone, it's good to be back with you for another episode of the Yearbook Wise podcast. My name is Mike Simmons, and I advise the Tesserae Yearbook at Corning Painted Post High School in upstate New York. And as Dean said in the intro, today I share with you an interview I did last week with Ali Staub and Laura Zhu, two of the very best in the business. The interview is wide ranging. We talk about everything from staff culture to recruitment to uh, working with the unique needs and abilities of middle schoolers to how to, to really foster excellence and empower students uh, when we set the bar high and get out of their way and just let them go for it. And how often students will rise to the occasion uh, when we ask them to and maybe require them to. Uh, Ali and Laura are extremely talented. Uh, you may want notebooks out and at the ready for uh, all sorts of, of advice and tips and tricks, but uh, I think you're gonna find it a great listen. You know, one note before we get into the interview, at the end of uh, my last episode, uh, I shared with you that uh, I'm looking for some feedback and there's something in it for you. If you'd take a moment, if you're a frequent listener or maybe a first timer, uh, but if you would take a moment and fill out a quick survey, uh, there's an opportunity for me to be able to send you a copy of my student's 2018 Tesserae yearbook. The best is up to you. Um, just a couple minutes of your time. The survey is at tinyurl.com slash T-Y-W survey, the yearbook wise survey. Again, the survey is at tinyurl.com slash T-Y-W survey. And for everybody who responds before July 1st, I'm going to draw out three random names and send you a book in the mail. Always looking to do better, always looking to get some constructive criticism and, and let me know how I can serve you better uh, via this, this tool and this podcast. But uh, that does it for uh, intro. Let's get into it. This is my interview with Ali Staub and Laura Zhu, 2018's Distinguished Yearbook Advisors of the Year for JEA. So what I wanted to do um, so that listeners could get familiar with your voices, since this is the first um, three-part conversation we've had, um, Laura, if you would go first, could you describe, well, introduce yourself and describe your program a little bit for us? Uh, my name is Lars Zhu, and I teach at a 7-8 school of about 1,400 students in Elk Grove, California. I have an 8th grade only staff. I had my smallest staff last year of 25 students, but I usually have 34. And I have them all year in a 90-minute block period. And has it always been operated as a class for you? Yes, I have always taught a yearbook class. Awesome. And before we get, I've got questions already, but before we get there, uh, Allie, can you chime in from Indiana? Yeah. Um, my name is Allie Staub. Um, I advise a yearbook class in Westfield, Indiana at Westfield Middle School. It is a 7-8 building and my class is um, 7th and 8th grade, mainly 8th grade by choice. Um, I only take about four or five 7th graders each year. Um, it's year long. 
we have 80 minutes of class because I have them during our longest period of the day. Normally all our other classes are 45 minutes, but I have them during all three lunches. So it makes it a little bit more flexible. And I have taught it for the last seven years as a class, but my first year I did it as a club. So I've done it both. And in those seven years, Allie, is, is this your first, uh, was this your first job? No, um, actually this is going to be coming up this coming school year to be my 12th year of teaching. So I was actually, um, I am an art teacher by training. Um, I self-taught yearbook advisor. So I learned everything myself. Yeah. You're talking to one here too. So Laura, Laura, did you come to yearbooking through another path? Yes. I taught computer technology and then I asked my principal if I could start teaching Photoshop and then she said, sure, if you'll take on the yearbook. So I'm self-taught yearbook. And now I teach all my other classes. I teach Photoshop and digital media. And then I have the yearbook class. And how many years for you? Ali said seven for her. And I just finished my 15th year of teaching and my hmm, 13th or 14th book. I should know that. How were, how were your 2018 books received by your schools? This is probably one of my favorite books we've done. Um, I think our community really, really liked it. It I had a really great staff, so that that made it really nice. And it was our first year of going to a, a camp that we were actually able to develop our theme. Usually I have to do it during the school year, so it made it a lot easier of a year for me. But we did a really cool theme centered around the fact that our school um, was just about to start an, a major renovation and so it was last year, it was going to be the way it was. And we did a custom insert for every buyer. So kids filled out a Google form about themselves, uploaded a photo about themselves. And then we put that in InDesign and put a basically a trifle brochure custom to each kid. So all 745 of them and hand placed them in the book. And it was it was a huge hit. So it went really well. I, that, I, I had so many questions. Wow. How, <laughs> that's amazing. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Where did it tuck in the in the end sheet or somewhere else? It went in the first spread of the portrait section, okay. so it went. Um, we had it printed in a lo- by a local printer, so we got like a great deal with it, just because they were able to give us a really quick turnaround. Sure. And we just did them all in six weeks after after the final page was submitted. We just did them nonstop, and I think my kids were going to kill me by the end, but. When it came out and everyone saw it, it was the feedback was awesome. We had a quote about each kid from a friend of theirs. So it was like a nice little surprise because no one knew they were getting this. It was a total surprise to everyone. So wow. it's really cool. That's fantastic. And you yeah. said it was the, the way it was, was the tag? Oh, the phrase was, it's ours and it's everything. Oh, okay. Excuse me. Okay. It's so the insert was, it's mine and it's my everything. Wow. It was kind of that little spin off there. That's fantastic. And what's your school population? You said you sold about 745 books. We actually ended up selling over 800, but our population is about uh, 1240, somewhere around there for for seven, eight only. Got it. Right. And Lori, your 2018 book, what was that all about? Well, first I have to say that Allie's book is my favorite of her books. I got to see it and it is unbelievable. So my... Yeah, my staff's 2018 book, um, the theme phrase was eventually everything connects. And so uh, visually, it was just very stunning. Um, The cover 
is very striking because of all the visual connections and the the meaningful words that my students selected. But then, um, you know, we were inspired by several books that we'd seen over the years where they they ran an inclusionary device that connects people throughout the book. And so my students um, took on that task of connecting every, every student in the school. Um, They didn't all fit in the book, but um, it's, it's really powerful to see across the bottom, how all these different connections are happening between people you wouldn't guess. And to the point where teachers who don't normally comment on our book we're coming into the class to tell the staff, like, this is incredible. I can't believe you did this. And the principal stopped by to say, I want to know how you managed this. Like, <laughs> what does it look right. like to take that many people and try to find connections? And so my, my students were very proud at the work that they did because it was a lot of work. Yeah. And I, I think that's as good a place as any for us to really dive in on this conversation, because I think that, um, I think People are are shocked when I've been able to show them um, a number of the the middle school books. When people come into our lab and they look at the high school books, they're like, oh wow, this is amazing. I'm like, yeah, but look at these middle school books and look at what these students are doing. And without fail, the commentary, not to a negative, but definitely to a surprise, like, wait a second, are you serious? Like these advisors aren't doing it for them. But I mean, you guys, you're talking about brochure, like custom brochures for 800 people, and this interconnected device that is carried throughout the book. I, I really want to talk with you about maybe some some myth busting around you know it's oh it's just middle school like that's the worst <laughs> i hate that word just and i think and i know you both you know well enough to know that that annoys you as well so um laura could you talk a little bit maybe uh, what what's one assumption that people have about about middle school programs in in particular maybe that that your kids just absolutely laid to rest well if if i take a step back to when i was first coming into it and i didn't I didn't know how to make a yearbook. You know, when you when you give all the choices in the world to a middle schooler, of course they're going to gravitate to all the colors and the shapes and every background and every piece of clip art. So as long as you take the time to educate yourself first and then you can educate your students on what good journalism looks like, what a color palette is, you know, it's all about the education. And then Students, regardless of the age, will always meet the bar that you set. So if you set a high bar, they're going to meet it and they're going to be so proud to do it. Amen. Has that been your experience too, Ellie? Exactly. Yeah. Um, especially as an artist, graphic design person here, like I, I think especially sometimes they think kids can't learn design. And so especially for me, for that area, I teach my staff content driven design because that's if they want to get a job in graphic design in the real world, world, they're going to have to know how to do that. So even though they're middle schoolers, you know, they are just as capable, if not more in some cases, I find, than some of the high school kids I've worked with before. They can take those models and they're just so eager. They're so eager to, to like soak it all up and get into that. But with design and everything, if you teach them and you give them guidelines – they can really take it and run with it. And the, the sad thing I think for Laura and I both is that, you know, we have them for eighth grade and then they're gone. <laughs> so right. that's the only, that's like the big difference is we get them all revved up and then they make a book and then they graduate to the high school. And and I want to talk about that that high school bridge um, a little bit later because I'm keen to know the kinds of relationships that you've formed with your high schools. But thinking uh, still about uh, assumptions or or things that we might 
as high school advisors or other advisors out there might, you know, misconstrue about your work with the kids. Um, Allie, I, I've had friends of mine, you know, I, I did some student teaching at the elementary level. I was never in my training engaged with middle school, but I've had high school colleagues say, man, you couldn't, you couldn't pay me enough to teach at the middle school. That's just crazy. Um, talk, talk to me about, about that. I mean, is it just where I'm going to guess that you both, both of you thrive on the energy that these kids bring each and every day, but, um, you chuckled there for a reason. What is it about the middle schoolers that really get you? Yeah, I th- Laura and I usually we've talked about this before, but I I think um, and every other middle school teacher I've spoken with, you, it kind of takes a special kind of person to teach middle school. Okay. Um, I've had the opportunity to potentially move to high school, and I just don't. I just really enjoy working with the middle school kids. They're they just like I said, they're kind of just eager. They're really eager. They're eager to please. And they want to learn new things. They're not too jaded yet. They are still just slightly scared of you, which is a little helpful at times. And they just, I don't know, they just have such enthusiasm and they just look at the world kind of in this little bit of a different lens that, that they're just ready to, to, like I said, take what you give them and run with it. They just, it's just really fun. Uh, Laura, what are some of the, the biggest challenges with, I mean, you guys are on block schedule, so I've got to assume, like we're working on a 42 minute rotation, but it feels like just as we're settling in the bells ringing and we're out the door. So I'm envious of both yeah. of you. Um, but what are some of the other challenges with working with eighth graders? And I'm thinking as things as various as like your kids can't drive to the soccer game, like mine can, um, and that might be like patently obvious, but I would assume it impacts some of your coverage opportunities. Um, what else comes with that with working with eighth graders? It's certainly true that, you know, the driving to get ads, you know, we rely on parents or the permissions to stay late and work. But at the same time, they want to, they have this eagerness because it's exciting because they see the high schoolers staying late. And so okay. um, connecting a late night work night or in Allie's case, a Saturday work day, you know, as this extra elite time for yearbook to work instead of a, as a burden, maybe to a high school student, the middle school students are so excited to have that privilege. So what you could see is, you know, not being fun is actually exciting for them. What, what kind of space are you working in, Laura, with them? What, what kind of resources do you have physically? I'm in a computer lab. So my Photoshop okay. lab, it's just we've got 34 computers crammed into a room. Um, there's no empty table space. So we do everything in our computer lab. And Allie, is that much the same for you? You've got a, a computer for each kid? and No, we're the opposite. It's, okay. it's really funny, actually. Um, I am in a windowless classroom. None of most of the classrooms in our school actually don't have windows and we have no, it's an art room. So I have a regular art room for my art classes because we use clay and the, the dust would be bad for the equipment. So there's a second art room next door to me that I share with the Spanish teacher this last year and this coming year I'll be sharing with her. So she uses it the rest of the day and then I use it just for your book. Um, and that's when her prep is. So I have 12 computers that I've gathered over my eight years of advising. And my fortunately, we're a one-to-one school. So the kids okay. have Chromebooks, but uh, they're not the best for design. And that is our yearbook room. So we have like a lot of tables. So it's great because you can kind of clear them off and rearrange them how you want them. But we, I just don't have um, the computer resources as much. 
Got it. And do either of your programs incorporate uh, digital media at all uh, above and beyond the printed book? Do you have kids that are cutting and producing video content or advertising at all? My program does. Uh, Last year, it was built into our book very deeply um, because we purchased 360 degree cameras and we were filming things throughout the year. And then each book came with a set of Google Cardboard lenses we this year bumped up our goal for um, our augmented reality through HP Reveal to be a video on every single spread. Uh, we have an award-winning broadcast program at our school, and there are some crossovers between my staff and that staff because that class is taught zero period. And so those students okay. are usually our marketing and advertising group, and the, the videos they create are outstanding. Absolutely. And Ali, is video a piece of your program yet? Um, I've done it periodically. It's not as consistent as I would like, nowhere near on the scale that Laura's done it. Uh, I did some Erasma augmented reality like three or four years ago, but that's about it. I want to get into it more. I just, just got to get my room back first. Right. right. Absolutely. <laughs> Now, I don't think it'll come as any surprise to the podcast listeners um, hearing you two articulate your programs and their strengths. Um, You two both had a a very good year this past year. Um, And and of particular note, you were both honored in San Francisco as, um, I guess, two of the three distinguished yearbook advisors of the year. So congratulations on that front. Um, The the people that I was talking to said there was no doubt that you guys would get it together because you kind of go as a package (laughs) deal. So we move away from yearbook for a second. Can you Describe for me a little bit uh, your relationship and, and where and how you guys found Yeah, I'm going to let Allie take that because she uh, found me. <laughs> okay. All right. I found Laura. So I was a second year advisor and um, I like didn't really, literally knew nothing. I just kind of knew from what I could dig up on the internet and like stalking over these yearbook advisor websites. And um, I got a copy of Herf Jones Yearbook Discoveries magazine and Laura had written an article about her award-winning program and how it was eighth grade only. And they, they just, I think they just want a pacemaker or something. And she was kind of talking about how she runs it and everything. I just, and I was like, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. And I think I had, I think we had just won our first crown. And I was like, I don't know how to keep this going. Cause I was like, this is a fluke thing. I don't really know what I'm doing. So I emailed her and I said, Hey, I'm new. Um, would you be willing to kind of just share some things, talk, about what you're doing because I literally knew no one who was doing middle school yearbook like even in my state and the previous advisor wouldn't help me (laughs) when I took over so I didn't really know what I was doing um so I emailed her and so she emailed me back I was kind of like shocked that she did and then she's like let's talk on the phone so we talked on the phone for like a couple hours one day and then it kind of just she well she convinced me She's like, if you don't come, I still remember you saying this to me, if you don't come, um, you're going to regret it because this is really how you're going to get yourself to that level. To San Francisco years ago. Mm -hmm. To San Francisco. Yeah. That was my first ever convention, which was so ironic to have the awards there this time was great. Kind of full circle there. So I met, we met at San Francisco convention and we've kind of just been stuck together ever well, since it's like been just meeting up at every mutually convention. beneficial because what what you yes. have to understand about Allie her incredible strengths with design and her eye for photography and color palettes and font pairings that is a weakness of mine my strengths are in 
caption writing, you know, and these other very structured detail things. So she, she balances out my strengths and she has a whole nother way of organizing and looking at things. So when something isn't working for a particular staff that year, I'm like, Hey, what are you doing? Or what have you done? And there's always something that can help balance out the way that my brain thinks. So it, it strikes me that you two, I know that you feed off each other. You complement each other very well that way. Uh, I know that you are suspect that you're both um, big proponents then of, of networking and building relationships well beyond your districts and programs. So you've got each other. Where are some of the other places that you have turned for advice or mentorship or resources? What, what are some of the other um, resources that, uh, that advisors listening should, should plug into? Um, well, I would say NSPA, JEA have some great resources. Convention has really been always, or the CSPA conventions and the JEA NSPA conventions have always been a great resource for me to meet other advisors. They have the, at the auction and all those events where you can kind of network with people and also just going to workshops. I always find those are a great opportunity, even if you don't bring students, because I know for some middle school programs, they don't have a returning staff, so they don't necessarily want to bring kids to an overnight camp. But even if they just go and meet some other um, middle school advisors, it's a great opportunity. And Laura, for you? Uh, not having any fear about contacting award-winning programs. So when you see a, the award winners lists, just start Googling the schools and the advisors' names and emailing them. And attending sessions and then staying after the session to have a face-to-face and ask some one-on-one questions and like share your name and email, I think those are just really easy ways. So, Allie, you just said that when you met Laura, um, one of the things that struck you, it was your first crown year and and you had said to yourself, I I don't know how to keep this going. And so you turned to Laura and and you made this connection. How do you two sustain these programs? And I realize this is a gigantic question because we could talk about everything from recruiting to positive relationships with your administrators. But Laura, I'm going to put you up first. If you could, on the spot, Mm -hmm. if you could break it, break it down into like two or three really top level, you know, do this. What would you attribute the, the ongoing successes of your program to? So I believe that you are always selling two things. You're selling your book and you're selling your program. And you always need to be balancing those two things. And so in selling your book, that's obvious. You know, that's the putting up the posters, the making the commercials, the back to school night, targeting parents. That's the one I think that people always do, but they forget about selling their program. And what I mean by that is making sure that you have the best T-shirt on campus for your staff to wear, that you are out publicly, you know, promoting the yearbook, having fun activities at lunchtime, doing games and contests all the time, that your students always look like they're happy outside of the classroom because we know that they do have a lot of stress at deadline time in the classroom but that they are more than just a kid with a camera. And then if you have an opportunity to um, maybe go into the younger grades to um, take a copy of last year's book and promote it and run some activities or games in there, and then also say, and hey, in coming up in January and February, we're going to put out an application for you to join our program. So here's a time to ask questions. But always making sure that you're selling your program and selling your book so that 
it just keeps renewing itself. And Allie, for you, how, how have you sustained now that you, you reached out to Laura was the first step. So everybody can put that on their list. Reach out to Laura's. <laughs> yes. Uh, and and yeah. then what, what, what was next or what, what have you found yourself uh, turning to for, for that ongoing success and, and sustained, uh, you know, positive program? I think it's kind of a combination of what Laura said of really selling your program. Laura does an amazing job. Like that's one of her strengths. It's not something I do is like, she sells that book in so many ways. It blows my mind, the tags and a little like incentives she gets kids to do. I mean, it's amazing. It's not something I, I enjoy doing, but I like love seeing what she comes up with and the stuff that she does. I think selling your program, promoting your program, like the coolest shirts on campus. Absolutely. Like awesome press passes. We have class during lunch. So my kids go into all four lunches and interview. They conduct their work during then. And so that they're hundred percent visible to all the students when they're going in, they get, they're the only ones that get to go up to the microphone and call kids up for interviews and other kids, seventh graders, they see that they know about it. Um, what I also, the other thing that I think keeps my program going is I kind of set very high expectations and I set the tone from the minute they see anything about my class, any application they get, everything has the same kind of professional presence. And so when um, I made a video this year, um, off the office style, <laughs> uh, mimicking that opening of the office for them oh, right. and just yep. kind of showing what the program was like just to kind of help demystify some of that for parents and students. I also kind of push it to the parents a lot when I'm trying to even get kids recruited just because I want them to know, Hey, this is a, we're, we're serious business here. And I make sure that I set very, very high expectations with our, we have a 13 page manual for our staff and everything that I send out publication wise, it's always just has that same, high level of professionalism. So if people listening are hearing the two of you as successful, award-winning, nationally recognized programs, I'm going to guess that some of them are thinking, wow, Ali and Laura, they've got it all together. They've got it mastered. They're all-stars. They've been recognized by JEA. If my guess is right, though, you two still have tough days with your kids or with your programs. So would you, each of you, um, Allie, if you'd go first, would you share um, something maybe that you struggled with in the past year as an advisor and, and the kinds of things that, that either you're still kind of working through or maybe some of the ways that you tackled that? I was talking with a colleague today and they said, oh, you, you had such a good year. The book looks fantastic. I said, yeah, but we're still figuring out new ways to screw up stuff that we already knew how to do. Um, <laughs> and, and I feel like sometimes as yearbook advisors, we like we put our finger in the hole in the dike and we say to ourselves, Hill, cool, I've got that managed. And then something just out of reach, you know, another leak gets sprung and then we have to go figure out how to deal with that. So what are some of those challenges that, that you face this year, Allie? Um, I'd say this year, probably one of the bigger challenges that I find I have is I always have some students who have emotional issues come through every year, either it be that they get super stressed out uh, communication wise, or they're struggling with something in their personal life and it ends up bubbling up into the yearbook room. Um, that's an issue every year. And I feel like it's not, I'm sure it's not just a middle school thing, but especially when they're like, as I like to call them hormones on feet, everything is a little bit more um, high pitched in certain cases. So just trying to balance dealing with caring about the kids and making sure that they have what they need emotionally and 
and supportive. And then also just, but making sure at the same time that I'm being responsible to the rest of the kids. And, and, you know, if someone doesn't do their work, if they don't do their work, someone else has got to do it. So keeping kind of that balance of not like, yes, the book is important, but it's not more important than your health and anything like that. And trying to keep a healthy balance for the kids was, is always a challenge, especially this year though. And Laura, you've been at this through many, many cycles. What was something that cropped up this year that maybe maybe it was new or maybe it was an old friend of an issue that uh, that came back to you? It's so funny that Allie was using the word balanced because that's exactly what this year was all about, Okay, was particular numbers of students who wanted to take on way too much. And they had the skill set, but I felt it was my obligation and duty to to teach them how to scale back and and share the workload with others. And so, you know, it was a lot of, of managing these big personalities who had the skill set to do it all themselves, but to teach them how to, to find strengths in others and let, let go of some things. And that was very different because 2017 was all about the staff who did great work, but deadlines meant nothing. <laughs> At least this year we could meet deadlines. Right. <laughs> So both of you mentioned um, aspects of the positive staff culture, the traditions that you've got from t-shirts to silly games. I'm assuming there's a healthy chunk of food involved with your staff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ours is too. As it goes specifically, though, um, and, and forgive me, I, I, was it was it Laura that you've got just a handful of seventh graders? No, it's that's Allie. Allie, Allie mm-hmm. pardon, pardon me. So um, you, you're both at seven, eight schools. How do you feed kids into your program? And, and in what ways do you reach out to, you know, are you, are you going, cause I know Ali, you're in the art department already or, or uh, affiliated there. Can you say to your colleagues, Hey, if you've got a kid with a great eye, send them my way. How do you put out those feelers to recruit? Um, so what I do kind of like what I'd mentioned earlier, I, for, so for the six incoming seventh graders, current sixth graders, I send uh, an email with a presentation and a video clip to all the, the parents. Cause our, I can't, I used to go over there and talk to the sixth graders, but right. uh, my schedule doesn't allow it anymore. So I do that. And then I have a big social media presence for our program. So we have Twitter and Instagram and I just make sure right around the time that stuff comes out. I know we have a, a website for our yearbook that I maintain and our hits start going up and I have links to the Instagram and the, the Twitter accounts on there. So I start posting a lot of stuff about what we're doing. And um, so then what I do is the kids apply and I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Like I will definitely acknowledge I had about 98 applicants this year um, for between sixth and seventh grade current combined. So I was really, really lucky. um, And I always am to get a good pool of kids. I'm fortunate enough that the program is, kind of well-known enough now that parents kind of look for it for their kids coming up. So I have like a lot of siblings on staff and things like that. The buzz is good enough around us that I, I've kind of built it up enough over time. And within my school for the current seventh graders, I'm fortunate that I have a lot of them in, in art. And then I have good relationships with a lot of our um, language arts teachers and most teachers in my building and so I send out flyers that say like, hey, so-and-so, someone thought you'd be good for your book. And it lists kind of information about what the class is. And I email out the teachers and say, hey, if you have any kids you think would be good for this, send me their names. So I usually send out about almost 100 flyers at least each year to kids. And for some of them, that's the only reason they ended up applying. Um, so it just kind of gets them interested. It gets them informed. I do a Q&A session during homeroom and... 
then it kind of just goes from there. And and it sounds like I'm just listening to the language you're using. That's you doing a lot of that work, right? Or are your students partners in that process? So my students actually do a lot of it. So I send out the emails and stuff for sure. But the kids, I talk to them about and uh, Laura gave me this. She told she suggested this, which I love. And she's like, tell your kids it's their job to find their replacements. Mm-hmm. I was like, I love yep. that. And that's why yep. I told them. And so I, but I do always give them like a little pep talk of, Hey, this is legacy you're leaving behind. Like, who do you want to take over after you? And I I say, you guys are the only ones that know what it's like to be on WMS yearbook. So you know what to look for. You know what skills kids need to have. So if you see someone who's good at it, like give them a shout out, say, Hey, you might want to do this. Um, So they do all the flyers. They deliver them. They give a little spiel at each homeroom when they deliver the flyers and um, they also, like, if they have siblings, I don't think it's coincidence that I have all the siblings end up applying. Right. So they kind of do it that way, too. And Laura, you've got a, a really um, positive and, and aggressive, in every good sense of the word, uh, presence of your staff in the school um, mm-hmm. already. So, so they are probably their own best ambassadors on recruitment, right? They are their best ambassadors. But the one of the greatest things that I've done for my program in the last few years is it your book is now recognized as under the leadership umbrella. So whether you call it ASB or leadership, those those students who are that group of kid, I was losing my students to leadership. Right. And so I worked with our new ASB advisor to say, hey, you know, we could have a mutually beneficial program, but I need my my students and my program to be recognized at the level of your. And she's like, you're right. So once we took the broadcast program, our web program, yearbook and leadership, and they all are recognized as leadership students. So yes, they have a second t-shirt now to recognize themselves right. in that. And the high school ASB advisor, if you are part of the yearbook program at Toby Johnson, you are recognized and an extra box is checked on your application when you go to high school. And that's really helped because there's parents who want you in on that leadership track. And since your book now counts for that, I get to have those kids. And as it goes to that high school pipeline, what what are the relationships that each of you, and, and Laura, I'll, I'll pick that up with you first, the relationships that you have with the school that you feed into? And um, are, do, do your kids, do most of your kids stay with book and, and carry it right through? No, my our community is very ap focused. Okay. And so the kind of students who are in my yearbook program tend to go on and immediately start their AP program. And when you are taking those classes, yearbook doesn't fit into your schedule very well. So they may skip freshman year and then try to jump on as sophomore, junior, senior. But I will say that the last 10 years, the editors in chief at the high school have been trained in my program. So those students, you know, who find the passion in it do go on. There has been a new advisor there. He's going to be starting his third book. And so there's been some struggle with the changing of the guard. But there are three editors in chief for this upcoming 2019 book at the high school. And they were all former editors in chief for me. And they met with me the last week of school. And they said, you know, this is going to be our award-winning book. We're going to run everything by you. <laughs> you know, we want the checklist. <laughs> this, We are making this happen. And I'm like, great. I'm so excited. So I'm hoping that the the high school will, will be making a name this year. That's fantastic. 
that, that's that's a testament to your program. And Allie, do you, do you have a relationship with the the high school that you feed into and your kids? So my story, as different as our schools are, it's almost identical. Um, okay. Ours is AP, AP, AP. And so all of my kids are usually targeted right away for like AP US history or whatever it is that they take as freshmen. Um, but a same experience, uh, the current editors and editor-in-chief are former staffers of mine currently. We are now on, I believe, our fourth advisor in four years at our high school. So the mm-hmm. program's kind of seen a lot of changes. So I'm hoping with this newest advisor, he came and spoke with my kids. He's another actually fellow art teacher, so I've known him before. And he he's working really hard. I'm excited for what he's trying to do with the program. And he started to recruit some of my other kids back in because – like Laura said, they, they tend to try to start coming back sophomore and junior year. And a lot of them, he'll commit to come back and just say, hey, you guys can do graphic design only or photography only. So it's really neat to see them kind of jumping back into their roots and uh, helping out or, or taking over the staff completely. So, Wow. So, you know, you, you just mentioned there, and I'm not sure if I'm reading too much into it. Do your kids, Allie, do they specialize in a particular technical area? Um, yes, yeah, some of them do because of my limited number of computers. Um, and I kind of do a weird hybrid book where I use our publisher software e-design. And then I also, but I'm very picky about fonts and colors. So we make all of our headlines and graphics in Photoshop and upload them. So I have kids who do Photoshop only. I have kids who do layout, uh, graphic design only. I have kids who do copy editing only. And then I, the rest of the staff pretty much does everything, but everyone is trained in everything. So they learn it all and then they kind of get to choose what they want to specialize in. Just because we only had three computers that had Photoshop, we actually just got Creative Cloud at the end of the year though. So now we have 12, which is very exciting. Got it. And Laura, is there, I'm assuming that the both of you are are pretty well attuned to um, the national scene for middle school books. Is there a typical model for a middle school staff or is it pretty widely divergent from some staffs I'm going to assume uh, include sixth, seventh, and eighth grade students. Certainly, a bunch are probably club only. But what, what's your sense of of that for the? I mean, I don't know if you can speak to the entire country, but what what kind of models? Yeah, are there they out are there? all over the map. Like you could find something for everything: sixth, seventh, eighth, seventh, eighth, eighth only um, clubs, classes, um, alleys where people specialize. Historically, my staff has been. Everybody gets two spreads and, you know, you work with your partner, you design everything because we were template driven. And then Allie has been helping me and encouraging me to go with content driven design, which means I need to have designers. So now, you know, I'm working towards having some specialty students and then some students who are trained in all the things. So on the awards list, there's definitely everything you could possibly imagine. What's the uh, what's the biggest joy for your work with the middle schoolers, Laura? that they get life skills from my class that are going to truly help them in the real world. They're going to know how to give really great interview answers because they've practiced interviewing people for a year and they know what to listen for. So now they know what to say that they have confidence looking somebody in the eye, that they have managed a business by the time they were 14 years old. Like I could go on for days about the true 21st century skills, these amazing life skills that they're going to have before they hit high school. And I know Allie, we could just let Laura keep on talking, but yep. I'm going to assume you've got some because she's. I mean, she's preaching it solidly. Yes. Is it? Uh, it's much she's the same the for choir you. Here. Absolutely. Yes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's pretty much the same. 
for me. Um, I guess the only thing I'd say is I am like not athletic at all, but I always kind of wanted to coach something, but I was like, I'm not doing a sport. Like it's not going to happen. So, but this is kind of like, I love that I have created a family for them at school that they come back and visit that they, they totally understand that this is a legacy that I can run into a kid and they'll like, that is a, a senior in college or is already graduated. And they'll say, Hey, are you guys doing a um, weekly challenge still? Like, and they just, it's kind of like this tradition and this family that they all become a part of. And they all know, um, even if they've never met each other, like I had three staffers from, from five different yearbooks, five, oh, sorry, from three different years. And they all like have this common bond, even though they had never met before. And it's just, I love that it creates that kind of family. Yeah. Now you two, you, you mentioned Allie that you maintain or that the book has a social media presence, right? Yeah. So unpack that a little bit for me. Um, and, and I'm a li- little bit ignorant because our high schoolers are social media natives and I'm by all means not suggesting that middle schoolers aren't, but I felt like coming into this, that there's some, are, are, are some of your kids, um, below age limit thresholds for being active on social yes. media? So I have one that's 11 right now on my staff coming in. So yes. So what's your social media plan like and what's that engagement and who's in charge? I mean, it hits all. And you guys both know, I'm sure at the, well, I don't even want to say at the high school level, but in scholastic journalism, it's encouraged, you know, that the students have the password so that they've got the First Amendment press freedoms and they're covered better than we are as teachers. So can you unpack that a little bit for me? Um, So what we do is. Most of my, some of my staffers are 11 and 12, so, and then we have 13 and 14 year olds. So I believe most of them are like 13 and up for the age limit. What I usually do is because they're learning everything pretty much in one year, we don't really approach social media until probably like midway through the year. And then what I do is I have them start generating the content and then they'll send it to me and then I will post it. So that way, um, if they're below the age limit, they're still generating everything and I am just submitting it. And um, so what I've also done before is I've just handed them the computer that's logged in and they'll go on and post it that way. But I think just for like safety and also age issues, that's been the easiest way for me to, to do it. Right. And Laura, does Toby Johnson have a social media presence? The Jamboree? Yes. So the yearbook does have a, a social media presence. And then I also teach a, a digital media class, which is basically a social media training class. And so okay. my students are trained in, well, Ali taught me about Canva. So they learn how to create beautiful posts. And then now we use Adobe Spark and they work within our themes. And then they're trained in taught how to do all these different interactive style, you know, what's going to create, you know, engagement with the audience. And then they're assigned a specific day of the month and they have to have four different posts that hit four different needs and they turn those into me and then I release them. Wow. That's incredible. And I know one of you mentioned that you've got a staff manual. Do both of you? I have Allie's. She gave it to me. And I I did a find and replace of all the times it said Mrs. Staub and replaced it with Mrs. Zoo. And Ali, I'm I'm going to put you on the spot, but is that is that yeah. a resource that you do share freely? Or yeah, no? okay. absolutely. I sent something on listserv about it um, a couple weeks ago, and yeah, anyone who emails me for it, I'm happy to share it. It's compiled from everything that I stocked on people's websites, so there's probably stuff um, that's kind of a mishmash of things. But yeah, I just like 
I learned the hard way several years ago that you have to really just set those expectations right up front and have everything written down. So if something does go south, you can point to it and say, well, this is actually there in our policies. Because especially like with parents, they're very black and white when it comes to middle school. So you kind of just, you got to be prepared. Yeah. And that goes to one of the questions that I sent to you guys on, on preview um, from Facebook. There's a, a number of advisor groups that have cropped up in, in at least the last year and a half, anyhow, um, that are all very active and there's lots of cross posting. But Marsha DeMuro uh, had posted earlier today. She said, I'd, I'd love suggestions about guiding students off of staff when you know that it's not working out, whether it's letting them know they won't be returning next semester or next year. Um, she's had a few of those conversations and knows that she didn't handle them as well as she would have. And I've got to guess, knowing you both the way that I feel that I do, that there's going to be a couple benchmarks before that conversation on in either of your programs as far as a touch base with a kid. And then maybe maybe you elevate it to a touch base with a kid and a counselor or a kid and a parent. But how do you deal with issues like that, Laura? Where do you start? You know, you dread those things. And so that's where the manual comes into play so that everybody has the expectations from the get-go. I did have a situation this year where I had to remove people from the staff. I had two students who weren't meeting the expectations. But middle school is an opportunity for learning and growing. And so it wasn't actual removal from the staff. It was, I am removing you from these spreads for right now. And we are going to practice what it looks like to meet our expectations and to meet deadlines. And we're going to, you know, we're going to work on it separately while other people are taking over your work. And then next term, you're going to have the opportunity to prove to me that you can come back. And unfortunately, the book was finished by then. But it was important to me to not cut these students off from the learning opportunities. And so I met with parents and both parents handled it in very extremely different ways you know, so it's always good to have your proof along the way of the expectations and what they were producing. Um, but it is, it's a very difficult conversation, but we have such an opportunity to model how to fix things. And that's a life skill that isn't always taught. And so instead of removing people permanently, unless it's an extremely serious situation, then I would just keep them on staff, but remove them from making the book. And Allie, what are some of your go-tos on addressing those kinds of issues with kids? Um, besides the manual, um, at the first week of school, I always have a, a meeting with all the parents and the, the new staffers, and I kind of go through the expectations since they've never really had to take a class before where all these kids are A students, and yet you know they can't make a deadline. So it's just a very different type of skill that they're not used to. And sometimes their parents aren't used to it either. So kind of making that very clear from the get though, this is what I expect from them. And if this is going to be a problem, let's talk about it and make sure this is the right fit. Because I'm the first one to always admit that this is not a kid. This is not for every kid, this class. Um, I always tell the kids, I was like, I would not have made it on my own staff when I was in middle school. I could not have handled this program. Um, so it's not for everyone. And not to say that it's like that much difficult. It's that it's that difficult, but it really, it just really always isn't the right fit. And so um, we're on trimesters. So usually by the end of first trimester, it becomes pretty obvious to me if they're, they're going to fit or not. And usually by that point, I, I do a strike system, but honestly, if I know that there's usually some telltale signs when we get into it of if they're kind of getting it or not. And I'll, I just over communicate with those parents. I'll email them. I'll say, Hey, you know, 
little concerned so-and-so is, is doing this. And then we kind of just go from there. And the last several years, anytime I did have a student who just, what could it, it just wasn't the right fit. And the parents and I both agreed. Um, it was, even though it was, was sad to see them go, I think in the end, it was the right thing for them. And their parents totally agreed. I got them on my side. It was, it was pretty easy to do that. And then anyone who gets to a certain point where they're just not making deadlines, at some point, it's almost a, I, I don't want to let them leave staff because they've started something. I want them to learn that you finish what you start and that, you know, this is a, this is a really a team effort that we're counting on them. So at some point I'm like, you know, I'm not going to let you quit. You're going to stay with us and you're going to make sure it gets done. And I will stay after with you as long as I need to, to help you finish. Wow. That's, that's empowering from both of you. How do you, um, speaking about empowerment, how do you empower leadership in your kids and how do you, um, Lori, you get them for one year. So when you're fresh, I'm assuming you start school mm-hmm. sometime in August. Um, how, how, how deep into the year are you before you identify or name leadership? Or, or I'm assuming you do name leadership. So please correct me if I'm wrong on editors and things like that. But what's that structure like for, for your staff and staff leadership? Well, it's a great question because I think every yearbook has its own system. And so I, I don't know if I just like Googled a system when I was teaching my first yearbook, but Um, I learned it didn't work for me to have students apply and be named uh, positions from the beginning of the year, because once they got that position, they were like, got it, don't need to do it. So what I do now is I outline the expectations and how you can work towards receiving a title. And then they are named at our awards banquet at the end of the year. So um, it's, it's not really a surprise. Like, You've always got the one or two students who work the whole year working towards that editor-in-chief position, and they're going above and beyond all year. And the class can usually name them, but they don't really know they are until it's bestowed upon them. And then um, they, I put that into the colophon that they can't see. I have it locked down, so they design it all, and then I lock it, and then I add an extra sentence that includes that. So they do get that credit for it. Um but chief photographer is named at the end of the year after we see the outstanding work and the people who are seeing their photo credits in the book throughout the year. So a lot of positions are basically bestowed upon them after they've earned them. And then, of course, now that we have designers, I am noticing who's having the natural skill and wants to learn more. And then those are applied for in the middle of the year. Yeah, so I know this is an audio medium and you can't see my face right now, but my, my jaw was on the floor because it took me a couple sentences into that to realize you're talking about your eighth graders do their entire eighth grade year. And one of the very last things that happens is that they're named editor in chief. Yes. That's, wow. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. I, yeah. wow. It's been right. working for us very well because yeah. there's the kids who want it. And so they put in the extra right. work. Right. They're at every late night work night. They're, yep. you know, staying up, you know, putting sticky notes on all the pages. And, and those are the people who deserve that honor. Right. I, I'm wow. I'm amazed. Allie, is there, what's it like for you in, in your program at Westfield? So um, kind of a hybrid and also depends on the year for me. Yes. So yep. I usually have, like I said, four to five returning, and the expectation is that they'll likely be in some type of leadership role, but not it's not always a great fit. It's hard to tell that when they're little sixth graders that when they're in eighth grade, they're going to be a great leader with all of them. So everyone learns everything, like I said, and they all get training, and then they do apply for jobs in about, I'd say about October, and then I name 
Photoshop and, and those editor positions, copy editing, those lead positions. And then from there, I kind of took the editor-in-chief role and broke it apart a couple years ago into three separate jobs. And usually then from there, I name an editor-in-chief and a bestowed honor, just like Laura does, um, at towards the end of the book production, kind of towards the end of the year. Because like she said, I found the exact same situation where kids you know, they want it just because they want that title and then they don't want to do the work. And so I really think that, you know, giving them that goal and really showing that you can be the editor instead of just doing a name only really does help motivate those kids. And it really does give credit to where credit's due. Right. Right. Well, listen, we're coming up on an hour, which we're finding is a good length for podcast attention and and all the rest. Um, So I've got one final question for the both of you. And it, it is, if you could time travel back to the summer before you first advised, what advice would you give that former self? Mm. And, and really, this is going to be geared towards <laughs> advisors who are, you know, heading out in their first or maybe second year of advising who, who could use that pick me up from two of the best in the business. Um, Ali, I'll put it up to you first. What, what, what would you tell Ali of seven or eight years ago? <laughs> Um, I remember that, Allie. Um, I would tell them, you're not alone. You're not alone. There are millions of other people out there that that do advising. And there's like hundreds of middle school advisors. Just reach out, find someone who can be a resource, join the listserv, the JA listserv, so you can kind of see. That's been an eye-opener for me, even still now, eight years in. And just know that you're not going to have all the answers. It's okay. To, to just do your best and you can only, you know, prepare as much as you can. That segues into mine perfectly because my advice is good for whether you're first year or 15th year, each year you get one thing, you get one thing to learn and focus on. So year one, maybe you're learning how to work those cameras, but year two, then you're learning how to teach composition and improve the photography. Year three, you're going to learn how to write a storytelling caption. Year four, you're going to learn how to sell the book. And each year you get to add one more thing, but you do not get to take on all 20 aspects or however many there are that you think are important in yearbook in year one, because then you won't come back for year two. And we really want people to become lifers. Well, I, Listen, talking to the two of you is it's like it's like verbal coffee and caffeine. You you are the kind of advisors the both of you that make me want to be a better advisor myself and I can't thank you enough for spending time on the podcast with me tonight. So thank you very much. Thank uh, you. Thanks, yeah, it's this is this is great and I hope those of you who are listening uh, know that uh, if it's okay Allie and Laura I'll provide some contact information uh, for you both in the in the Absolutely. podcast description. Absolutely. Sure. And um, I got to tell you this is it's just been incredible. So once again, thank you for the time. Friends, this has been Laura Zhu and Ali Staub. They were the 2018 JEA Distinguished Yearbook Advisors of the Year, two absolute rock star middle school advisors. And, and ladies, once again, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Well, there's some incredible advice in there for yearbook advisors at absolutely any grade level. Uh, I'd encourage you to check out the podcast description uh, I'm including contact information for both Laura and Allie there and a link uh, direct to Allie's staff manual, uh, which is definitely worth the look. And uh, as she said, feel free to remix it and, and make it your own. That could be an invaluable resource to uh, a yearbook staff. And, you know, there's another opportunity there to 
give a resource like that over to your editors and say, revise this and make it work for us uh, and have them invest some time there uh, in leadership and time and talent and enthusiasm to, uh, to set your program on a positive track. Well, again, if you're uh, up for it, I'd love to have some brief feedback from you podcast listeners. Uh, that survey that I mentioned at the front is at tinyurl.com slash TYW survey. As always, you can find the podcast on Twitter at at yearbookwise, and you can email me at iteachyearbook at gmail.com. You know, in just a couple hours, I'm flying out to my first of a, a couple camps and workshops for the summer. So uh, I'm not sure, having never done the podcast uh, during summertime before, what that quite looks like for episodes. But we do have uh, one more coming at you uh, about CSPA and NSPA, the two major uh, Scholastic Press Associations nationally, uh, the advantages and, and benefits of being members there. We've had a little bit of a schedule of difficulty, uh, but one more piece of that coming together. And then uh, that should be in your feeds before too long. And then also a uh, upcoming conversation with Jim Jordan, uh, 1996's uh, Yearbook Advisor of the Year, and a, a dear friend, a voice that you're familiar with already if you've listened to uh, previous episodes. For now, friends, I hope you've settled into summer well. Those of you who are out at yearbook camps, or maybe you're listening to this at a yearbook camp, I uh, hope you're doing well. Wish you all the best. Do pay particular attention to uh, that episode with Carrie Faust about establishing a theme. That's episode 11. It's a great listen for summertime. But for now, good luck. Be well. We'll talk soon.